0: Sorry to get you up out of your chair.
1: Well, if people could see us right now, you're setting comfortably.
0: Welcome to Just Over the Fence, <laughs> our monthly podcast where we get to know our friends and the heart behind the bio.
1: I'm excited for today.
0: Oh, man. We're in for a treat. Yes, we are. She, she has a lot to share. Beth Bolin-Wallace grew up with a dad who owned the Denver Broncos. She Pat has a Bolin. Pat Boland and she has a lot to share about that and also about
1: about life and leadership and how to overcome what seems to be the insurmountable
0: it's gonna be encouraging but Harry I hate to interrupt what but you need to listen to this
1: and now
2: it's time for hey Harry hey Harry,
0: hey, Harry. What's your favorite kitchen gadget and why?
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. And why? And why? Okay, Chris and crew, you probably don't know this, um, but I don't hang out in the kitchen a whole lot. (laughs) So to choose a gadget, I don't even know if I can come up with a name of something. I would say, okay, I'll say this. Does a coffee pot qualify as a gadget
0: It does today.
1: (laughs) Because the coffee pot is well used. I do know how to make a mean cup of coffee and I do love coffee
0: Absolutely. yeah, Couldn't agree more That would be. There's a kitchen gadget I want to get. Okay. My least favorite thing to do in the kitchen is to clean out this little garlic press we have. Mm. And I saw one that's really easy to clean
1: Okay. Right. You go on out and get that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That would imply that I'd be cooking something, anything, you know.
1: And that we would have garlic available because I, unless you get it, we don't have it. But Chris, your and crew, you're awesome. Chris, Michaela, Henry, Luella. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Chris. Schuetz. <laughs> Can we say hey, that? Hey,
0: <laughs> Yeah. Thank you, Chris. ctaudioproductions.com. Well, Chef Harry, I think we should get right to this. Let's I,
1: do it. I think I, I hear a knock at the door. And it's not the pizza guy this time.
0: Here we go. So most people who know you, know who you are, know your name because they've seen you on the news, read an interview with you in the newspaper. I'd like to ask, what don't those people know about you? What are three words you would use to describe yourself?
3: Okay, so I'm going to come in full disclosure that I briefly read what you emailed me, <laughs> but I didn't want to write anything down because yeah. I wanted this to be authentic. conversation. So, you know, maybe I'll start with that word, authentic. Hmm. Um, I'd like to think I strive to be authentic, but I'd more like to think that I'm naturally authentic. Um, so I would, I would say that word. Uh, people probably don't perceive me as humble. Maybe through my interviews, they can get that from me, but I, I, my humility doesn't so much lie in practicing that again, but in the fact that everything goes to God. Everything that I've accomplished, every challenge that I've been brought through, um, and I've had to learn that, and that has brought me humility. So I've had to learn the humility that I believe God has hopefully refined in me to a certain extent. You know, we're always feeling like we're fully refined when we, and then all of a sudden we go through another experience. And then um, maybe because what has been said about me, people don't realize how smart and capable that I am when I reflect back on my parents and and their intellects. They're both extremely smart people and I must have inherited uh, that intelligence through them. I love that. And you also have a degree.
2: Mm -hmm. It's from
3: DU, and I can put JD after my name. Yes. Um, I'm a lawyer. Well, I'm not a lawyer, excuse me. I have my law degree, and that is something I'm extremely proud of. That came on a much different path. I mean, that's just another way of how God weaves his way into our lives. I started law school in my early 20s because my dad said had told me since I was twelve I was going to law school. So there was no other option. So I went straight from my undergraduate at the University of Colorado into um, the University of Denver into the law program there. And after a year and a half to two years, i there was two major tragedies i that was the first time I had ever dealt with death before in my life at that age. And it really derailed me. I didn't probably seek or get the type of support a young person should seek or get when they're dealt with tragic deaths. And there were both very tragic, unexpected deaths that had a huge impact on my life. And so not seeking out maybe the support that I should have at that time, I tried to soldier on because that's what I would believe would have been the expectation from my dad um, in particular, and realized that I needed to step away. So that second year of law school, right in the middle of that, I decided I was going to take some time off and step away and really try to gather and lift myself back up again. And then decided I was going to go back to Hawaii for a little while. My dad was extremely sad about that. I think he didn't want to accept it and wanted to strong arm it, but I think he also knew that there needed to be some healing in my heart to take place. And so went back there and just stayed, never returned to Colorado. And I think that was his big fear. Until uh, 2009 when I came back after recognizing how sick he was. And that leads me back full circle to the story of my law degree. Um I anticipated that the trustees would come out with a criteria that would include law school. My dad had his law degree, so I knew that they were going to come out with some criteria one thing that is misunderstood is the criteria came from the trustees. It's not part of the trust. It didn't it wasn't written by my dad, but law school I anticipated would likely be on it since my dad had his law degree. So I quietly uh, went and met with the admissions person at D u was a wonderful, wonderful human being. And I got a, an admittance letter, and I will say the letter said, most people that re-enroll in law school are not su- not successful. Mm. It was not a terribly encouraging welcome back. Mm-hmm. They were very forthright with what the track record is. Um, but, you know, I think to their excitement or success or whatever you would say to that and mine, uh, it went very, very well. I feel like um, having some additional years of life under my belt really prepared me for my second time around. I would encourage anyone that if you have a second chance to fix something, because that's something I always regretted, was not finishing law school. Mm-hmm. And here God presented me an opportunity to, to to fix a regret that I was living with. Um, that's the gift. That was truly the gift. I mean, the degree makes me very proud. But the gift was in God laying out an opportunity to fix something in my heart that I would have regretted, and I know I'll have no doubt uh, in heaven. My dad and I will be able to rejoice over that because by the time I graduated, he he didn't. Well, maybe maybe he did understand that, you know, when I went to share that with him. But uh, but yeah, I have I take a great deal of pride in in being able to say I have my JD and the path that took me there was one that God was absolutely intentional about. There was a reason for that.
0: This just kind of came to mind while you were talking.
1: Are you winging it? It it
0: is about your dad. Similarly, we all know him through the public. Mm -hmm. What are a few words that you would use to describe him?
3: Intense. Loving. Perceptive. Wow. Yeah. But not everybody got to see the loving part. Although I should say maybe maybe people would characterize him that were close to him through the Broncos and football and his players as caring. I call that loving, but people would say he was a very caring man that way.
0: I will say about him one thing that was eye-opening to me This was at his memorial service. I forget who shared his first season training camp was up north. And he, he, to give an example of how things were going to be different with this team, rode his bike to Greeley to camp, right?
3: Yeah, he's a triathlete. Yeah. Not not a lot of people knew that about him. And so I take great pride in the statue over at the stadium right around the um, Ring of Fame Plaza because I had a um, voice in developing that. And I was adamant that they put uh, something up there about his triathlons, mainly the, the Ironman that he completed, the one in Kona. And there is one of the main banners up behind the statue is a testament to that about him. And so, yeah, he would ride his bike up to Greeley. I remember growing up in Hawaii, I, I would see him more driving down the road and him jogging by or riding his bike by some days <laughs> than I would at home <laughs> in his training. So he, that's where the intensity would come from. He was going to be competitive and he was going to be a winner, and he was very passionate about that. And I think that's what he was able to bring to his um, ownership model that he had here in Colorado. That was very beneficial to the Denver Broncos. Hmm.
0: How did you two meet, you and Harry?
3: When I moved back to Denver, I had been here for a couple years um, prior to going back to work with my dad over at the Denver Broncos at the facility off Dove Valley, and. It was apparent right away it was a bit of a challenging time for me. There was some darkness there, um, especially in dealing with my dad and his Alzheimer's and the onset of that and what that looked like. And so um, my husband, John Wallace, knew Norton Rainey. And Norton, you know, he has been well-known for putting people together. He draws people together. And so he had been um, talking to John in their Bible study. And, and I hadn't had a lot of connections here in Denver yet. I grew up in Hawaii. A lot of people think I'm from Denver. I'm not. I'm from Hawaii. I went to college here. But in returning, I think John was and Norton were looking to maybe make some connections, especially some spiritual connections for me, people of like mind. And I had not been in a Bible study here yet. As a matter of fact, I have to admit, I'd never been in a Bible study before. And so Norton wanted to introduce me to uh, Jane Norton and Kaylin Foti. And I don't know who these ladies are. I don't have any history here in Denver to know who they were. Um, But I met them. And can you possibly imagine, after you know who they are, the uh, humbleness I felt that these two iconic women to me, wanted to take uh, a Monday afternoon every week and sit down and go through a Bible study with me. Mm -hmm. And my first Bible study and the first day was the scripture of, you know, consider it great joy through all your challenges. I should know the scripture by heart. So the next time I'm interviewed, I can quote it. (laughs) But all in my mind, I'm trying to be on my best behavior with these two women that I w- are instantly looked up to just by their demeanors. And I was thinking to myself, no, that doesn't really fit what how I want my life to go. Um, but it was an v- incredibly impactful uh, Bible study for me. But that's what brought me to Teresa, mm-hmm. was Kaylin and Jane introducing me to Teresa and starting um, what was an intimate Bible study at first. We added some women. And we just, I had this eye contact with her. I'm big into eye contact, but our gazes held a little longer. And I didn't quite know what to think of that. But through the coffee, it was apparent that the gaze was there because there was going to be a deep relationship between the two of us, not irregardless of whether it was a Bible study, whether it was a friendship, whatever it was, there was going to be a kindred spirit developed there. That was my journey to meet Teresa, but I often reflect back on Jane and Kaylin in that time because it was my first Bible study and, um, you know, God really hit it out of the park with who he brought into
1: my life for my first Bible study for sure. Right? Mm -hmm. Amen. And I absolutely uh, share what Beth just said. Um, Yeah, I was just telling Matt about that before you came and I I said there was just a it's that something that happens when you know friendship is born. I think C.S. Lewis said, What, you two? Mm-hmm. And then you look at each other, yeah. and friendship is born out of that. So, right. Yeah. Anyway. It
3: was natural from the beginning.
1: It was. Yeah. It was. What are you proudest of in your life, Beth? Well, I mean, I have to say my children,
3: right? Nalu and Will. I am very proud that they are authentically who they are. And somehow, some way as a parent, we we have an impact on that, right? <laughs> that, well, that they're gonna be authentic. Beautifully. Sent. I know there's things I could have done differently. Um, like my eldest son left today to go back to college and I looked downstairs and I mean it looks like in his room it exploded. And I was thinking to myself, gosh, I wish I had been more diligent about pick up your things in your room. But I just let that particular issue fall through the cracks but who he is as a human i am so proud of and who will is who they are to other people that was one of my big fears moving back to colorado was was this environment going to impact them and it has had very little impact on them and so um you know i'm proud of that and i'm very proud of the relationship i have with their father
0: what What's something you can tell us about yourself that will surprise us?
3: I don't know what would surprise Teresa. Oh, I have a terrible fear of heights. So is that acrophobia?
0: I don't know, but I've got it too. So. I mean,
3: <laughs> two. I ha- John took me on this hike, and the fact that we're still married is a miracle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's 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 not so much like coming down the ladders or anything. It's when you're on the side of a cliff or something, and there's nothing out there to show you. That's what they describe it as, is you don't have a point of reference. And it is debilitating. Mm. Like I
1: freeze, and it's debilitating for me. Matt freezes, he sweats, he mm. he becomes sort of a person that he typically is not.
3: That's why I would think that would surprise you all. Maybe yeah. it's the
1: person I become
3: yes. when I'm and when I'm in that model of fear. Yeah. 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 Debilitating is a good uh-huh. word. Mm-hmm.
0: My palms are sweating right now. Just no, thinking, thinking about, about it. Yeah. I'm
3: thinking about that hike right now and I'm like, "Why? I can't believe I'm still married to him. No, I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> good job, John. <laughs> right, right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we love John.
0: So you, uh, I don't remember exactly when and w- your age when your dad bought the team, mm-hmm. but you've watched this team become huge, mm-hmm. I mean, under his ownership. Mm-hmm. And the NFL, too. The NFL, yeah. What's your view or memory? What comes to mind when you think about how the NFL has just exploded over these decades? Mm-hmm. Because you saw all this happen firsthand.
3: Yeah, I was there. I had front, that's what I say to people. The privilege I had was a front row seat to his ownership. And I I can't imagine it ever being any better than that. So I'm at peace with what the outcome of where the team is going to land. Because it's never going to be better for me than watching my dad run the Denver Broncos. And it was a long history. You know, he bought the team. I was about 13. He's was the owner for over 35 years. Um, it wasn't, you know, gosh, it's interesting because football was always in the background a part of my life because my stepfather, Sundays were football days for him. And so it was always on the television somewhere. So, I, you know... The commentating and all that was familiar to me, so it wasn't like I'd never seen a football game before. But I grew up in Hawaii, so we didn't have a football team there. So I was very sheltered about the impact that it had on my family because I stayed in Hawaii and didn't come uh, to Colorado until you know many many years into his ownership. So that never impacted me as far as the high profile business the Denver Broncos were to Denver. I think in Denver, it was heightened like it is in Dallas. There are certain parts of the country where even back then, it was still very a heightened, high-profile business where maybe not have been in in California or Florida as much because they had other things that stood out. Where here, the Broncos were just mania. It was Bronco mania. Yeah. So I was fairly protected from... Recognizing how that changed our family life because of being in Hawaii. But the impact that my dad had on the NFL is clear, especially with his induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And watching the game change from something that we're all, you know, we're fans of players on teams and teams, but teams first. I think what has changed is players move a lot more around And so you don't have quite that same connection to players being as part of the family. Um, That was a benefit of being a fan years ago, that you had more of that. But then the benefit of today's game is it's extremely competitive. There's great parity in it still. And what these players are achieving by the speed that has picked up on the field. So I understand the new rules because the game's so much faster than it used to be so it is a more dangerous um but the explosion of the NFL I think because it's happened over time for me it 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 doesn't it wasn't super surprising yeah. because I've been watching it for so many years of my life um, but I certainly can reflect on it when you talk about valuations of teams and the NFL, you know, through this COVID was on almost every night and it was still extremely popular. I mean, clearly it is something that, you know, America and beyond identify with this sport and take comfort in having something, uh, to entertain themselves with. But my dad always said it's an entertainment business. Mm-hmm.
1: Entertaining connect. Connect. Yeah, there's a connectivity mm-hmm. around the globe when you come together under a sport but especially a high profile sport yeah. that everyone's aware of it's conversation it's unity it's right something- it starts
3: with the sport and 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 the competition of that sport and then it goes to the individual teams and that's what is so important about where the broncos need to be is it unifies seven states i mean we're so fortunate the market that we hold because of the seven states the region here and it means so much to the fans so that's where you know my desire is to see this team really get back on track because not for me or for my father's legacy cuz that's that's solidified in the pro football hall of fame it's really for our fan base because we as a fan cuz that's why I call myself we put our heart and soul and you know, a, a, a bad uh, Saturday can turn into a phenomenal Sunday when our team does well. Mm. And so really being able to give them the excitement of winning, but also that connectivity, you know, we don't want to be irrelevant. There's only 32 teams and you don't want to be irrelevant and you want to have a standard and, and be able to attract new fans, but really keep the loyal fans that have been with you and so that's where you know teams that are doing well if they go in a slump their fans are going to stay by them but there's only a certain amount of time that they're going to allow you and especially in denver to stay in that slump
0: there was a gentleman i worked with and he passed away last year and he was a long time south stands mm-hmm. season ticket holder he shared the season tickets with a neighbor and that was my first broncos game going with him and uh he knew where to go out in the tailgate. Yep. Where to get a beer or a hot dog or anything. But what a community! So when you talk about how a team can bring a community together, that was—I felt like I was a Denverite at that point. Mm-hmm. I'd been to a, a tailgate at the Broncos game. You know, it—it it brought. It, I felt like that brought me in.
4: But it, but
3: it, it does that even for the people that aren't at the game. Mm-hmm. It brings community, and that's why it's so important. You know, and that's why people get so passionate and then also so upset because when they're not productive on the field or representing, oh, it just kind of distorts and destroys the community a little bit. Mm-hmm. I remember one thing that made me really emotional about a year and a half ago, two years ago, was uh, I, there was a grandmother in Target, and I could tell she was a grandmother by her age, and she, um, was very well put together but looked like she probably had moderate means and here she is in the the kids bronco section mm-hmm. picking out some items which you know NFL items are exorbitantly expensive mm-hmm. compared to the rack across the way where you can probably get three t-shirts for the price of one or more right five mm-hmm. and all I thought to myself is here's this woman You know, buying exorbitantly priced t-shirts for her grandchildren, likely, and this is what we're giving them? Mm -hmm. No. No, that's not okay with me. And so that's why, where I, you know, take the stance that I do, but it's been much easier to take that stance, taking my wants and my needs out of it and thinking of a community wants and needs and knowing that God's got a solution. And I don't have to have a vested interest, but the 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 pitfall to life is when we put our wants and our needs first, and we lose perspective of what's going on around us. And when there's power and money and greed involved, whew, that can be very infectious. You know, of course wealth can make you comfortable, but really what are you gonna take home with you when you get there? And I remember having a conversation with God I was not happy and I was on a run and my dad had been overlooked for the hall of fame and this was the first time he was overlooked so it was many more years prior to the second time he was overlooked and the next year he got in and I was running and I was saying you know God you know my dad has Alzheimer's And you know, this is the last year that he's ever going to know he's putting on the gold jacket and you know, he deserves to be in there. And really, how could you? And I was in an argument and I was mad. And then I started thinking of myself and what does this mean for me? And I'm out there at that organization and I'm trying to, you know, get in there and prove my worth and work and you know, you have me there, you you put me there. And I was just, you know, giving it my all to God. And what are you <laughs> going to say to that God? <laughs> and, uh, and I was, it was, it was a one-sided argument of true frustration and disrespect. You know, I was disrespectful to our father and this is who he is just this quiet voice and this came from him no doubt about it he said oh Beth my child I want you in my Hall of Fame what I'm fighting with you I'm being disrespectful for you to you and your now response is to tell me you want me in your Hall of Fame and I stopped and I wept and I realized it's what we do here Mm -hmm. for other people for our families, mm-hmm. for our loved ones. We need to get in his Hall of Fame. And I've philosophized, w- what does that look like? What's well, heaven? I don't, because when I first was like, well, but Mother Teresa, no, I can't be beside her. So I, <laughs> I recognized, recognized that. that I was like, no, no. <laughs> I, w- I recognize that heaven is the Hall of Fame that we're striving for. But for him to tell me that in such a sweet way, you know, to get my attention about what truly is important of what we do here um, was very significant and impactful.
1: Who is one person that stands out that was an incredible influence on your life and what did they teach you?
3: Oh, you know this is gonna be tough, right? <laughs> I know. Shoot. I would say my dad, but it was the one person that really stands out is my dear friend Holly H-O-L-I how you spell his name and you I wouldn't know the influence he would have on my life till not many years later but till later in my life he was one of the tragic deaths that happened while I was in law school. but you know as a young rebellious teenager without a lot of direction in my life, I met this young man and um, dated him all through high school and part of college and it was, well, I know my parents loved me, it was a different time of parenting back then. There was a lot more freedom. And my mother um, had remarried. My dad was busy at that time of his life buying the Broncos, and he had a significant other. And so uh, I felt like I fortunately had a lot of freedom, but maybe not a lot of foundation. And Um, Holy brought me a great deal of foundation and understanding of unconditional love because I was such a brat and he just was so patient and so calm. And he really was an angel sent. I truly believe this for many of the lives that he touched, because I'm not the only person that may say he was the most influential person on them. But so he was truly an angel. He didn't belong to walk amongst us he belonged in heaven but that pure unconditional love and patience that he had really helped me get through hard times in my life and a time where I was rebellious and understand that I was lovable and I was worthy because he just stood by me every step of the way and I you know I uh, I so so look forward. You know, I hope that we get to meet the people from earth and, mm. and our past in heaven. Mm. That is a face that I am going to be searching for the minute I arrive through the gates to thank him. Mm. He knows what that he did that for me. But, oh, I just, I have so much better appreciation for that now at my age. Um, the patience that, that he had in and, in and, and, Knowing, or maybe he didn't know what he was giving me, but in what the love that he really shared and
1: gave to me. Mm. That reminds me of that book. Um, I think we saw it in movie form too The Five People You Meet in Heaven mm-hmm. by Mitch Album. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the other side of the tapestry that Corey yeah. Ten Boom speaks of. You finally yeah. get to see what your influences also Been. were on yeah. and moments in time with people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well,
3: I'm sure I helped him get to heaven.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Cosworth, well, you're truly an angel.
3: So he can thank me for that. you earned your merits, son. Yeah.
1: Come on up. Yeah.
0: Tell us about one of your happiest memories.
3: Okay, this is, I, do, I read that question. And I was like, oh, I'm going to just look like a bad mom when I tell this. <laughs> Good. Because this is the truth. And I mean, if I could go back in childbirth maybe i would find like just be more more present in the joy of it but there's a lot that comes on with it so the happiest moment of my life and bronco fans will love this uh, was the first super bowl that we had won without a doubt and i know that sounds so shallow but when you put context behind it You will understand. And I have told my children and I have apologized, but they know this. So if you ask them, they will tell you it wasn't the day I was born. It was when the Broncos won their first Super Bowl. But I'll tell you, you know, it was set up perfectly by God. It was in the sense of the joy that every Bronco fan had to have felt that day when we beat the Green Bay Packers because of how miserably we had lost the Super Bowls prior to that. And so sometimes the analogy of in in, in your life is you don't get something super easy, and we're so frustrated with that, and we want it right away, and we don't understand why it's being made so hard. But the it could never have been that impactful or joyous of an occasion had we not lost the games prior to. And so that last year, my dad had taken me on the road with him. No women were allowed to travel at that time with the team on the team plane and um my dad had taken me and i'd been we were wild cards so we had to go on the road for every game in order to get to the super bowl and i'd been to every game so i felt very invested at that point in time but i was desperate not for me but for this person i loved so much my dad to have a win because i had watched him front row seat lose And the first Super Bowl we lost, I remember being at the after party and it wasn't as heartbreaking because at least we'd got there and it was the first time we'd lost when you could make all these excuses. And there was a great band playing and no one was dancing. And I said, well, dad, I think we got to open the dance floor because people are shy to dance because, but let's let them celebrate. We got here. So we opened the dance floor well, did I know that that was gonna become a tradition? I mean, that was a bad tradition to have to open the dance floor after every loss <laughs> because it happened the second year. And by the third year, I was like, this is not good. And in, in especially the way we lost, uh, in the fashion that we lost. And I just, my heart broke for him because I, I felt bad, but I just saw the the incredible disappointment And him, and so coming to this game against Green Bay, we're a seven-point underdog. We've only lost before in the past, and all I can and now I'm invested because I've been on the road, and I felt there was something different about this team. I'm sure it was Terrell Davis, if you're gonna (laughs) break it down as an analyst, but there was just something different. Maybe we were peaking at the right time, but I was more optimistic, but I was wringing my hands like a parent, thinking we cannot lose because if we do, I have to make sure that the bridges and the tall buildings that my dad is gonna go jump off of are guarded, (laughs) (laughs) okay? right, And so, I remember getting down on the field prior to the end of the game. I had one of two go anywhere in the stadium passes. He had the other one. And so it was a black pass that you could literally go anywhere in the stadium. So I could jump over onto the field, you know, no problem. There was no official way I had to go. And I was standing there and Terrell Davis broke this long run and he ran out of bounds at about the five yard line. And I was standing right there and almost got run over. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, my dad is going to kill me if I get hit by Terrell Davis. So (laughs) I kind of, like he would even notice, but I kind of went and hid in the background. And um, this commentator came up and, and ended up holding my hand and gave me the play-by-play the last three minutes of the game, and then he looked at me when they didn't convert their fourth down, and he said, well, you've won, and I just looked at him in disbelief, and I just burst into tears, jumping up and down, and I said, thank you, and he's like, oh, no, thank you, because the emotion he got to experience the last few minutes of that game with me gripping his hand, you know, brought probably a different level of an emotion to him and I was um, being interviewed for the the Pro Football Hall of Fame and I was telling the story about how I was running around the field looking for my dad to hug him and I had told the story and I didn't realize that they found the footage I didn't want to oversell it but I do I remember just running around the field and I found him and I just he's standing there and I ran and leapt into his arms Mm. and the hug was just as incredible, I mean, it, I'll never forget that hug, and I, I think like I oversold it, right in the in the uh, yeah. interview, but they found the footage and they played it you know, on the big screen right before we have to walk out and unveil his statue. There I am. And it was exactly as I had remembered and reported. I like jumped into his arms and hugged. And it was just, I was just so happy for him, for John, for Mike Shanahan, for everyone that, t- that got to win that after all the beatdowns. And that can be a life's lesson. You know, mm-hmm. never give up. And, you know, and the how sweet it was. And I had the president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Mr. Baker, come up to me. And um, David come up to me at the year prior to him not making the final cut. And I said, oh, don't worry. I said, do you know how many Super Bowls we lost? And he was so confused when I brought it up. And I said, well, you understand how sweet that first win was. And I said, so when my dad gets the nod, it's gonna be that much sweeter and sure enough it was but i will be able to reflect on the emotion of that as being the happiest day in my life because of everything that was tied up into it and i think i'm definitely not alone i have no doubt there are bronco fans out there and that's what touches me and makes me so emotional towards the fans because I'm right there with them. And I have no doubt there are Bronco fans out there that that was the happiest day of their life. And so Absolutely. I'm proud to say it and I apologize to my children about it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot that goes on in the birthing room, okay?
1: Right? <laughs> no births, no marriages, no. right? You know? <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Uh,
0: when did you meet John Wallace?
3: I met John Wallace when I was 16. I met him through Holy, the gentleman I spoke about earlier. And I think one thing that has really been so special about my relationship with John is he's watched me through some of my more tumultuous years Um, from afar. You know, there wasn't the nature of our relationship certainly changed when we fell in love, but he always cared about me and was able to watch me go through. And so by the time um, we fell in love, he really knew, I always say, you really knew what you were getting into. There's no excuses here. (laughs) John Wallace is a good man. He is. Agreed. And and he is, um, he's so committed to our Lord. And one thing that he really brought, I think we balance each other well because he's so committed to the word and he's really brought that into my life you know, the word, the Bible, and scripture. And he's so smart and he knows
1: scripture and it's just so beautiful to see that in someone. So I just learned, we always learn things each time we do this too, even though I know people, some of our guests really well like you. But I didn't realize Holy Mm -hmm. introduced you to John. Yeah. So you spoke of earlier um, the first representation in your life of unconditional love. Mm And him being an angel, it's almost like he led you yep. to the next, yeah. to John, who is completely yeah. unconditional love.
3: And John and Holy knew each other well. And so you would think maybe in this earthly world, there may be some discomfort with, you know, um, the reverence I have for that relationship with Holy, But John fully understands it because he w- watched Holy and I walking our journey together and he knew him. And so that brings me closer to John because the person that had such a great influence on my life, John has a great deal of respect for and doesn't feel insecurity there and knows, you know, when I go through those gates that I'm going to be looking for a holy and fully understands and supports me in that. And that is just such a gift. I mean, just such a gift for that.
0: Last month on this podcast, we heard advice from my dad and from also from Harry's dad from a recording that was made years ago. I wonder about your dad. Is there a piece of advice you think he would share with us today or a piece of advice he gave you that you hold on to?
3: Um. Well, keep your cards close to your chest. Fly under the radar. He also told me one time, when you point your finger at someone else, there's three pointing back at you, Beth. You know, that, the, the advice that he gave me that resonates with me is just fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. And that to me is keep your humility about you. Because mm-hmm. the moment you get up there and you think you're a big
1: shot, mm-hmm.
3: you're just have a lot, far way to fall
1: sometimes. I've heard humility described as harnessed strength. Yeah. So. Beautiful um, way to describe that. Your I dad love that. and all of us who channel. Yeah. Because uh, it can be really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Lord. It's hard to be. Oh, humble, I'm learning right? that. That was not a gift that I was given in the beginning. That's either, one that I'm sister. practicing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. harness strength. So all of that strength and energy harnessed. Yeah. Um, is powerful. It's so powerful. I would, that's
3: a wonderful way of looking at my dad and in his relationship with, with the Lord that maybe that was a gift he was given early on. Absolutely. Um, I would go to my Bible studies. It was really sweet. Uh, Um, and it was getting harder to leave the office without him wanting to come with me in his Alzheimer's. And on Mondays I'd leave early because I'd go to my Bible study to meet Caitlin and Jane and I'd go, well, dad, I'm going to go. And I knew we were going to kind of have to go through the dance of, oh, I want to go. And you know, the insecurity and the fear I would see, which was so unusual for him and I'd say, "Well, I'm headed off to Bible study. You're welcome to come." And that his cue would be like, "Oh, well, no, that's okay." But then, he, but then I'd turn and look at him and be like, he, "He, he, I'd be looking at him, smiling, and he'd be like, "But you pray for me?" I said, "Dad, we're not there that long." <laughs> <laughs> you know, that would be all night, and he'd chuckle. But yeah, he yeah. had a wonderful relationship with the Lord, but it was a quiet one. And I had had this little wooden cross. I slid across the table to him one time and he took it and he picked it up and he looked at it and he put it in his drawer and he shut his drawer and we sat there looking at each other just quiet he was quite far gone at that point we were just quiet and it was so cute because he opened the drawer up and looked down to make sure it was still there and i was Mm. like yeah yeah dad he's god is with you dad Mm. he's always going to be with you and getting back from africa five hours before he passed and that that gift, I have to continue to remind myself of the gift that the Lord gave me in getting back in time and saying that prayer over him. And it was just the mo- closest to heaven I've ever been. And I, anytime that I get frustrated or impatient or into this world. I need to remind myself of that gift because that was truly the greatest gift I've gotten so far from the Lord
1: and the closest I've ever felt to heaven Mm. being there. Yeah. They call that, heard it called the thin space. It's like you press so closely uh, Mm -hmm. to him that Mm -hmm. it's the thin space. Yeah. The space in between us thins. That has just,
3: like, I, I... I don't want to go anywhere i have a lot to still accomplish but i've lived (laughs) now that i we won a super bowl and i got that moment you know
1: i feel like i've I've definitely been blessed yes so since we asked about your dad's advice what about sally parker what about your mom
3: oh my mom (laughs) sparker
1: (laughs) we call her sparker because she is and oh
3: she's lived a life as well and I will tell you, she uh, is the exhibited such grace. She is so well-liked by people around her. Um, she's very popular, but not because of what you would think, you know, in the movies we see with the popular girl or something, because of the way she makes people feel when they're around her. She's just a light and she's so fun to be around and she's so gracious to be around. And so I think her advice would be to to worry less about how you're feeling in a moment and realize the impact that you can have on the people around you. Because when you're filling them up, they're going to be turning around and filling you up.
1: And she feel, she fills people up. I love that advice. I may, I may repeat that advice. It's mm-hmm.
0: yeah. true. Yeah. I have a time machine right here. I can press a button. You can go and have lunch with anyone in history from today back through history. Who would it be?
3: That that's the question I struggled with the most. Mm. You know, I didn't know who it would be in the sense that I feel like. We can learn so much from what significant people have left behind for us. Um, And then there's just, I can't just pick one. You know, I think from, if you were to identify my struggle with the Broncos and where I'm at right now and how much I love my dad, I'd love to, uh, I should have looked up her name before I came, but the, the owner of Secretariat and that movie and what she had to persevere because I'm a horse person and I love horses. So from a secular perspective and wanting to meet someone and understand more about her story, I would love to meet her. Um, of course there's just no doubt that I would want to go sit and have lunch with Holy. I mean, let's face it, but I've already gotten so much from that relationship. I thought about CS Lewis because how does his how did his mind work? To write what he wrote. I mean, he's just that one step closer to God. And so it just seems like there's so many people I could think of. It's almost like for what, like, you'd almost need to give me a reason to pick someone. Mm -hmm. And I could narrow that down. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, our forefathers and how they came up with our Constitution and putting God so at the front of that. I also thought about meeting David. Mm. You know, I mean, would that not be, I mean, that was really my first thought of going back and meeting David. But I mean, would if you're going to pick David, why wouldn't you pick Jesus? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But then I was like, oh my gosh, like then you, I go, well, would I be worthy to go back and sit down and break bread? Right. So.
0: If you, if you did that. have lunch with David, what would be your first question? Ah. I
3: would I would want to talk about his relationship to God and write a psalm with him. Okay. I'd want to have some, like, I'd want to, like, I don't think I, I'm not a songwriter, so he would probably become very frustrated, but I'd want to write a psalm because I'd want to add to, off of, like, he'd have to start it, but I'd want to add in my, my thoughts in that psalm, but I'd love to write a psalm with David.
1: He was just... Magical. I think you're gonna to have to scoot over in that time machine. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> you with come you, with us. Right? right? So, um,
0: so yeah. So, roll. so a question? W- yes. Here we go. A, a question. <laughs> a question we ask everyone: What would you like to throw out just over the fence? A piece of advice, a piece of wisdom that you wish everybody listening knew.
3: Life is gonna teach us a lot. And we're going to have high highs and low lows. But know, you know, I guess going back to that first Super Bowl win, that some of your lows will be followed by your greatest highs. So never lose faith. And that God is for you. And he will always be. He's going to champion you and me through our lives. So just never lose heart or lose faith in a time of challenge, because right on the other side, he will always exceed our expectations. That's one thing that I've kept with me, is that God will exceed our expectations. We just have to
1: let him. That brought that Martin Luther King to mind, um, because Beth represents, I've been around her long enough to see her light shine. Darkness can't drive out darkness. Hatred can't drive out hatred. Only love can turn hatred into more love, and only light can drive out darkness. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what you just expressed. And it's just,
3: if we all can think about the impact of shine, even on the days that our light is dim, mm-hmm. but shining a little light, my dad would, would not tell me to fly under the radar there. Mm-hmm he would say turn it all the way up honey. Mm. To turn the dimmer all the way up. <laughs> and my mom my mom would uh would absolutely agree with that. I think that they would be in agreement about that. Beautiful. It, you know, like it's so nice to come here and talk and have it you know revolve around talking about myself and some of my experiences but come back to God because I'm going to leave with such a bright light. Mm. Like Teresa's always brought out the light in me, Mm -hmm. you know, she's, she, if I'm on a dimmer, she's like, she flips that switch (laughs) bright up.
0: Understood. Right. You know, and
3: so that, that's a gift that you have, Mm -hmm. Teresa, that you really allow, you allow people to turn up their light, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's hard to find sometimes in someone Mm -hmm. because we all want the bright light. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're so, um, humble that way. Mm -hmm and in, in allowing other people to turn their lights up. So mm-hmm. thank you for doing that for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I love being around you
1: too. Well, ditto, ditto, ditto. We need another word besides ditto. But um, yes, I feel it, it you know my love for you, mm-hmm. um, my heart. Um, as we get older, our heart only has so much room for and mm-hmm. really super close yeah. um, relationships. And so I believe God... God brings you forward with those. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that's the narrowing gate, like, you know, um and he lines you, He aligns you with those people mm-hmm. who will shine each other's lights brighter. And all we have to do is enjoy the journey with them,
3: you know. Thank you for that because sometimes when the gate starts getting narrowed, I you start to get a little insecure, right? Yeah. But what you're realizing is, um, quality, not necessary quantity, and I agree with you. There's only really so much we can give to everyone around us. Right. But the circle gets a little bit smaller, and and I think that's purposeful. Yeah, I agree. So you're my circle. I, you're my <laughs> circle,
1: <too. laughs> whether you like it or not. <laughs> right. Back and forth. Yeah, like well, it yeah. or not.
0: You're Beth Bolin Wallace, thanks a million.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for
3: having
0: me. Well, Harry, that was an honor.
1: Oh, my gosh. Every time, I feel just this huge um, feeling after simply having a conversation.
0: When Beth was talking about her mom, Sally Parker, I was remembering that Sally Parker was encouraging to our daughter, Bree, when she heard her sing.
1: She was. Bree sings... On occasion with Hazel Miller Band, which Matt plays keys, they were part of Beth's father's memorial service. And Beth has a sister who's an incredible opera singer, one of her sisters. And she and Leslie and Sally Parker were very encouraging to our Brie afterwards.
0: So we thought it might be nice to ask Brie to sing this song that Beth said has been important to her.
4: All around you and within you He is with you, He is with you In the morning and evening And you're coming and you're going
0: singing that and Matt and thank you Beth for the for the idea
1: yeah Harry yes
0: uh this is I say this every time this is so much fun so glad to be able to do this with you it's a blast I hope this episode I hope all of the episodes have been a light for you especially during these times thank you for listening
1: see you next month
0: just over the fence Make it a great month.
1: (laughs) Make it a great month.